pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for that beautiful anthem stating that wonderful word of Scripture. As we reflect on what it means for you to love the world, what it means for Jesus to bridge the gap between us and you, we pray that you will open our hearts to what you would say to us by your Holy Spirit. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. God so loved the world. What a starting point for a sermon. And John 3.16 is probably the best known and the best loved verse in the whole of the Bible. And as we look at that verse and in the whole passage set for the lectionary, in actual fact set for the lectionary next Sunday, because I got in a muddle, but uh, God's used it, I'm sure, to speak to us. Uh, set in the lectionary, we see the size and scope of the vision here. As the words tumble out, and the vision gets wider and wider, until, to be honest, it stretches almost beyond our human comprehension. It's beyond our grasp. And it's a vision for the world. It's not just a vision for one person. It's not just a vision for one nation. It's not just a vision for good people. It's a vision for the whole world. As William Barclay writes so helpfully here, it includes the unlovable and the unlovely. The lonely and those who have no one else to love them. The person who loves God and the person who never thinks of God. The person who rests in the love of God and the person who spurns the love of God. All are included in this vast, inclusive love. As St. Augustine says, God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. And that breadth and inclusiveness is emphasized in the words that John uses here. He talks in verse 15 about everyone. And then in verse 16 and twice in verse 18, John speaks about whoever. Everyone, whoever. There's no getting around it. The paedophile is included. The cruel dictator is included. The ISIS fighter is included. The fast-living media stars are included. The corrupted politician is included. In fact, everyone is included. Now, you and I might wish that some of these people had not been included. But it's clear here, God so loved the world, so everyone is included. And that means that even I'm included, and blow me, you've got in as well. Now, there are three other big words in this gospel reading. And the first word is eternal. Eternal life is the very life of God. 
It means that the Christian walk that we start here on earth is continued forward as we die. But it also means that the peace and life that will be there is dragged backwards into the here and now. As we are given in our walk with God day by day a foretaste of what will be to come. We share now in eternal life. Eternal life isn't something that we get when we die. Eternal life is something that we enter into when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I come that you may have life and far more life than before. That's the dimension that we walk in as Christian men and women. And then the second word here that's so important is light. To be in physical darkness without light makes everything very hard, some aspects of life impossible. But God uses, uh, John uses light as a contrast to darkness, which in his terms here in his gospel is a life lived without God. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's as if a light is switched on in a dark room. And then the third of these big words is truth. It would be impossible to live in a world where we don't trust the truth of anything. Just think about it. We get on a bus and it says on the front of the bus, Waterloo, and we end up at Oxford Circus. We get a tin of soup and it says on it, tomato, and we tip it out and it's oxtail. We make an appointment to see our doctor, we walk into the surgery, and there's our car mechanic sitting there. More importantly, we would not know whether the one who told us we were loved really loved us or not. Truth is an essential part of living in this world of ours. It's an essential part of being human. We need to live in the reality of truth about ourselves and the reality of a set of relationships that we can rely on, a set of relationships that we can trust. Truth is so important. So we've got big words here. World. Everyone, whoever, eternal, light, truth. The vision that God wants to share with us is enormous, with a scope and a reach which is far beyond all human understanding. What an amazing God we come together to worship week by week. And of course, the bridge to us knowing this God, to us even having a living relationship with this God day by day, is Jesus Christ, who we read about in the reading we heard earlier from Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 to 11, the reading that the Lent Fellowship groups will be focusing on this week. And the key to our developing this relationship is that we should have the same attitude as Jesus Christ, an attitude of humility and servanthood.
Now, there are three sorts of humility. The first is the genuinely humble. And we meet very few people like that. Very few people are genuinely humble. And when we do meet them, we know it because there's a real sense in them of the presence of God in their lives. The story is told of Martin Luther King, that great campaigner who's honored right across the world and whose picture and portrait and photograph hangs in so many homes as they honor him, that while he was alive, his publicity team wanted to put out a photograph of him and he wouldn't let them, he wouldn't let them ever put out images of him. He didn't want to be idolized. What he wanted was to be heard. So what is genuine humility? The preacher Charles Hatton Spurgeon once said of it, humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. To make a right estimate of oneself. St. Augustine wrote, if you want to build a house of virtues, you must first lay the deep foundations of humility. Jean-Marie Venet was a French Roman Catholic priest. He was born in 1786, and after his first curacy, he was sent to the town of Ars in 1818. And this was a godless parish. Nobody else wanted to go to it, but he went to it readily. And after a time, because of his exceptional life and holiness, the numbers of people coming to the church grew and grew. And sadly, this made the priests all around, who were used to an easy life and not really doing much, very jealous. And so they organized a petition to the Pope that this cure d'ar, as he was called by then, should be moved. And when that petition was put around, he signed it because he saw himself as unworthy. Well, the Pope didn't move him. He spent the rest of his life there with thousands coming to see him to make their confession and to seek his wisdom. And after he, was di- after he died in 1905, he was made a saint and is now the patron saint of all priests. And last year, 450,000 people came to his shrine to remember him and honor him. Genuine humility shines out and has such an impact. It's nothing to do with following a rule book. It has everything to do with living a life. Such humility comes after many years' walk with God. In our very best moments, we aim at it. But sadly, very few of us ever reach it. Genuine humility. The second humility is that of the falsely humble. Let me just get this thing clicked in. Sometimes this is cultural. In some societies, deference is the way things are ordered. Um, Biddy and I went to see Maria in Madame Butterfly in the Albert Hall this week. And everybody seemed to spend their whole time bowing to everybody. Uh, all the time. They even sang great solos, bowing down. 
And it, it made me realize, in reading the program notes, of the deference in that particular community that certainly historically, for many centuries, held it together. But there is, however, a false humility which I find really grates on me. You know the sort of thing. A woman is complimented on her new outfit. And she says, oh, really? I didn't think I looked too special in it. (laughs) And if you then said to her, no, actually, I didn't think you looked too special either. (laughs) There'd be hell to pay. There really would. Or the uh, man cooks a meal. Isn't that a great thing? Uh, those of my generation, that's a major thing. My sons and my son-in-law seem to cook a lot of meals. But he cooks a meal and everyone says it's great. And he says, well, I just followed the menu. And it's, um, I don't mean the menu, I mean the um, recipe. <laughs> uh, and that's a humility which lacks grace, lacks genuineness. And we should avoid that sort of humility at all, all costs. But thirdly, I think there's an attitude of humility which is not at the extremes and therefore one that actually touches you and me. And it's a genuine humility, but it's a misguided humility because it stunts our lives, makes us less of a person and holds back our Christian walk. For example, we look at some great person or some ordinary person that we admire at work or at church, and we say, oh, I could never be like her. I could never be like him. Or we hear a preacher, or we see a pastoral visitor in action, or we watch someone sitting, chatting to somebody at a very deep level, and we say, oh, I could never do that. And this misguided humility comes out of a lack of self-confidence and also out of a lack of understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit to help us and inspire us. Sometimes we need to be more honest and more positive about our own abilities. Sometimes we need to be more prepared to take risks Sometimes we need to think to ourselves, yes, I could do that. It might take me a while to get up to speed on it. It might be that I need some help and advice in it, but I think I could do that. I'll have a go at it. And sometimes you simply need to follow God. If a gap arises and you feel that you should step into it, then do it. He who calls you will also equip you. You see, this passage from Philippians is a wonderful hymn of praise to the self-emptying love of Jesus. But it's also a challenge and a call to us to walk in his way. Verse 7 here. He made himself nothing. This is Jesus. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That's what it's saying about Jesus. He's been made in that human likeness. But if humility is an attitude that we should 
work towards, if humility is something that we need to aim at, we are following Jesus, then we should be also prepared to take that very nature of a servant that Jesus took when he came to walk this earth. We need to seek a genuine humility. But linked with that is servanthood. And if humility is an attitude that we should work towards, then servanthood is humility with an apron on. For Jesus, that servanthood lent to him becoming, as it says here in verse 8, obedient to death, even death on a cross. That walk of obedience is still our calling. And if our death is not on a cross, as it probably won't be, there is a whole series of deaths in placing self last and others and God first. That's the end result of a daily walk in humility. Now this is solemn stuff. But it's the season of Lent. And anyway, look at how this hymn of praise from Philippians ends and take comfort from it. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Easter Day is coming. So hang on in. Let's pray. Lord, most of us can see that humility is a good idea. But when someone actually puts us down, puts us at the bottom of the list, the bottom of the table, forgets us in the thanks, upsets us by ignoring us, then we find it a lot harder. But help us to see that humility is that which shapes us into being more like Jesus, who emptied himself. The one who created all that we were thinking about from John's Gospel, this wonderful world with its vast vision, came to a stable, to a family, to a workbench, to a group of friends, to a crown of thorns, to a cross, to a tomb. So Lord, we don't want to be humble because we think it's a good idea. We want to be humble because it's your idea in Jesus. 
And if we're seeking to be humble, that makes us a servant of other people. That makes us look out for people that are lonely. Makes us get involved politically or with a pressure group to care for the asylum seeker, the refugee, the homeless, the disadvantaged child, the sick person. Because the servant king calls us to follow him. So Lord, we're sorry when our arrogance and pride puts self first and treads on other people. We're sorry for when we write off whole groups of people because they're different to us. We're sorry when we limit your vision to just people that are like us or people that we like. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will lead us to a humility which is not the cringing humility of a Uriah heap, which is not the self-serving humility, which is false humility, but a genuine humility which is a fair assessment of who we are and a fair offer to you that we will do our best to follow you. And Lord, we can't walk that way on our own. We can only walk that way by your Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come to my heart. Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit and help me to follow you. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The end of that wonderful passage. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. We stand to sing.